This episode of Rambling Through the Brambles features excerpts from Alabama Bound, recorded by Ash Records in 1946, featuring singing and instrumentals from Lead Belly, Woody Guthrie, and Cisco Houston. How you doing, Clark? Hey, Hobart. Very excited for our third installment. Uh, rambling through the brambles. That's right. Where two old friends learn how to talk about race and culture. And, uh, yep, and, uh, and each other. And, and each other. And going on in the world and music yeah. and mm-hmm. art and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we uh, had the opportunity to conduct an interview with uh, Dom Flemings. Uh, Dominique Flemings, who is a uh, Grammy Award-winning songwriter, songster, uh, someone who takes his music around as a troubadour with his guitar and his banjo and his various other instruments. That's right. Um, he calls himself the American songster and <laughs> multi-instrumentalist, probably doesn't know how many instruments he can play because... Yeah, he's, He's amazing. He is amazing. And uh, this is part of a series we've been doing called uh, Black Music and White Hands, except uh, he's actually uh, a person of color, and he's playing music that people associate with uh, um, white American culture, uh, country and uh, bluegrass and and, uh, mountain music. Uh, Although uh, we found out in our conversation the, the music belonged to varieties of cultures and not only to uh, uh, the people who were uh, of uh, English and Irish descent. Uh, yeah. In, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I just the other day, like two days ago, happened to see um, one of those things you see out in the verse, multiverse of our of the Internet. And it was Alan Lomax, uh, probably when he's in his 40s, and he was introducing – um, a white woman from the Appalachians, I'm sure, from somewhere in Appalachia, uh, and he he referred to he, he, his his take at the in this brief moment of conversation was that in searching for the source of the blues, he saw it there as well um, mm. in these in these hollers and in these songs from like you j- just referred to from from uh, from. Ireland, Britain, Scotland, that ended up in these mountain towns forever. And then he went and <clears throat> scouted it out and found some. Anyway, it was an interesting yeah. little blurb by Alan Lomax. Yeah, you know, and uh, uh, speaking of Lomax, that's sort of what Flemings has been doing, uh, the same sort of thing, which is being a song catcher, uh, going out in the world and, and uh, uh, hearing uh, songs from, uh, you know, different cultures, different people. Uh, he'd hear the same song, you know, and it'd be a little different 20 miles away, and you'd see uh, just how the songs evolve and change. Don Clemens was uh, born in Phoenix, and uh, he's uh, sort of in that middle generation. He's he's about 40. Uh, he's not, uh, a, you know, a, a youngster coming up, but he's not one of the uh, grand old people of, of uh of American folk music. Uh, he's right in the midst of his career, and he's gotten mm-hmm. four Grammy nominations. He's up this year 
for his uh, newest release, Traveling Wildfire. And he's a, a winner uh, for his work with a group he co-founded called uh, the Carolina Chocolate Drops. So he's uh, been around a little bit, but he's uh, uh, still uh, growing and developing. And we were honored to have a chance to, to uh, hear uh, his take on whether or not uh, uh, people of various cultures and ethnicities, how they, how they approach uh, music from a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so uh, without much further ado, Clark, do you have any other thoughts on, uh, on the interview? You've heard the interview. Yeah, and so I'm perform. Um, everyone needs to know about Don Flemons and the work that he's doing. And I would just add to his youth is there's tons of energy and he's really looking at every possible instrument available to learn. So a spoon, a bone, you know, a fork and a set of knives and a plate. If he if he's heard somebody banging on it and making a song out of it, he's learned how to do it himself. And you asked him, I think about, somewhere along the way about sitting around campfires at the music festivals. And um, you you can tell that he takes great joy in going all the way in and that, that as opposed to being uh, overproduced, et cetera, he's really investigating the picayune and the, the simple, very devoted to that. He's really trying to do honor to the traditions and origins of this music and every instrument available on which it was played. All right. So without much further ado, uh, this interview took place in the basement of uh, the Focal Point, which is a club in uh, the St. Louis area, a wonderful folk music venue. And uh, uh, we're honored to have the opportunity to chat with Dominic Lemons. Hi, this is uh, Hobart Taylor and Don Clemens, and we're in the basement of the Focal Point, which is an uh, acoustic music club in St. Louis, uh, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, relationships, black-white relationships, and uh, 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 cultural appropriation and cultural reclamation. Uh, what's the difference? How it works? Um, we did an interview yesterday with a uh, couple of people, T.J. Muller, who's uh, um, a DJ and radio historian and, and uh, an old-time uh, uh, jazz trumpet player, uh, originally from Great Britain, and uh, a young man by the name of Royce Martin, who plays um, uh, music of uh, Scott Joplin and who works in the Scott Joplin House Museum here in St. Louis. and. In that conversation, uh, we talked um, a little bit about um, the difference between um, playing music of various cultures 
uh, respectfully and playing music of various cultures uh, in a way that uh, uh, you know, sort of takes them over and, 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 and makes them feel like they, they belong to you um, without acknowledging their origins. Uh, do you have any opinions on, on uh, the uh, hot-button topic of uh, cultural uh, appropriation? Well, you know, one of the things that I always try to do when I'm presenting my music is try to think about where people are coming from, and then I try to present it in a way that doesn't demean them, but it, it emphasizes and it elevates the positions where they're coming from. Um, one of the ways that I do this is when I'm playing a lot of southern music, for example, not being from the south, I'm from the southwest, I try to think about the people that I've met along the way and think about what would be respectful to them when I'm presenting the music or um, the flavor or the tone or the mood. And I try to try to present something to an audience that may not know uh, one thing from the other. And so a lot of times I try to arrange my songs so that they show a little bit of that, some of the humor and, or some of the, um, the pride and the joy that a lot of that music uh, means for people. You have to uh, uh, sort of uh, spend time with people uh, from those various places and, and sort of uh, uh, engage with them in a way that uh, how do you do that? How do you? Oh well, I mean, you know, you got to go there first, right. and I had the great fortune of being able to go there and live in uh, live in the South for a while uh, in North Carolina, in specific, and then uh, even in Washington D.C. there was its own version of um, sort of a Southern Northern, you know, cross sectioning of uh, cultures. And yeah, it was it was um, it's a hard thing to put your finger on sometimes. Uh, trying to trying to sh showcase ooh, how deep the culture can be, or how deep the music can mean for a person on a very simple level. But trying to think about for me, it's it's always about trying to trying to create cultural memory and trying to create a space where someone can reflect in their own life about where the music is coming from. And that's something that I've always tried to do. And, and I've gotten a lot of people that have come up afterward that say a lot of times my music reminds them of what, you know, their grandfather or their, their grandmother might have played or sung around the house. And so just trying to think about those sort of things when I'm, when I'm out there and then also when I'm putting my music together, that, that's something that's really key to me. You think somebody could sit around and listen to the Harry Smith anthology uh, over and over and over again, and sort of uh, you know practice, etc., and, and 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 learn how to do make those sounds, but not having lived and spent time in a place uh, authentically play the music. Well, I think that there's a certain there's a certain. Uh, level of being able to learn the songs by hearing it and then replicating those sounds but there is something about being in the places where those songs came from that can give you a greater understanding and again like I said it's very hard to put your finger on it sometimes of what it actually is that you learn but it's always about knowing where where a song comes from where the places where where the where the people lived and what sort of lives and what sort of environments that they grew up in. It, it's not impossible 
to to learn the music without having those experiences, but it is something that is a great addition to the music and the making of the music when um, when you learn from the people. And and that's one thing too is that you can also vary and adapt and adjust the music when you've lived in in the different places as well. That's something that's very important too. So if you listen to a record, it's it's one moment stuck in time, and you can. Uh, you can uh, approach the pitfall of just replicating one moment in time, one sound. But when you have a sense of the environment, then you can now start to navigate the music, and you can you can find ebb and flow, and then you can you know you can then make it your own type of music, which ultimately you want to do at the end of the day. I've heard people who talk about the song catches who would go and, and, and say the same tune, uh, you know, 20 miles away or in, or in the next valley where, where yeah, it has its own life and resonance. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then that's the thing that I found as well, especially when it comes to like um, picking the guitar and the North Carolina style. I found that each, each different person I met from different parts of North Carolina, they all had their own subtle way of playing the music and different ways that they would have little variations that they put into the music. And that's something that I tried to pick up along the way. But that's something you can't learn unless you've gone there. You've done a lot of campfires, I imagine. Hung out with folks like uh, uh, at, at uh, some festivals and stuff. Did oh, you... absolutely. That, there's been a lot of that, too. And that's been really a fun time to be able to... Uh, Compare and contrast. You get to workshop those songs, and you get to try to you can try to get put them in into real use. Because again, it, when you learn straight from a record, it's sort of a it's a singular activity, and it's a very uh, solitary uh, learning experience. But when you get to sit with somebody, you can always pick up something new that that you didn't think you could pick each time. Each time you sit with that person, even if it's the same person, you can you can learn something new about the music or about where it came from each time you sit with them. One of the things, because uh, we want to talk a little bit about racial dynamics, which is not often, you know, people sort of avoid talking about it uh, while it's still there. It's always sort of uh, an undertone. Um, uh, one of the things I've noticed is when um, uh, African Americans play music that is quote-unquote uh, ascribe to white culture and thinking of Charlie Pride or, mm -hmm. or something. You know, um, uh, there's been a lot of uh, uh, the media and the culture celebrates them or like it's some sort of you know amazing feat. Uh, uh, um, and uh, um, uh, some sort of violation of the rules of minstrelsy, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, have you encountered any of that and, and, and uh, uh, sort of, uh, wow, uh, you should play bluegrass great for, you know, that sort of thing? <laughs> well, you know, the one thing I've always tried to do is take an active role of where I think people are going to go with the conversation, and then I turn it into something that's positive. Because uh, a lot of what I've done in learning the music I came at it as a fan of the music, so I've always turned the conversation into, hey, we're both fans of the music, so we're both talking about how much we like these songs. And so I've always tried to keep it in that sort of perspective so that it doesn't turn into a idolizing or aggrandizing um, 
you know, and then sometimes what will end up happening is that people are just so glad to see, like, younger people into the music that that they just glom on just saying, oh, my gosh, somebody younger is into the music. So, you know, more, 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 more. I always have, have tried to at least be one step ahead of the conversation so that I don't get caught up in a in a position where I feel that I'm being pressured into something I didn't want to do. And so... That's something I I was thankfully very early on. I, I saw was a part of the bigger conversation, and then I decided to push forward. I guess one other way is in reading about the music, I found stories that that um, that would show the the brilliance of where racial dynamics can can uh, can be a positive story in in the in the grand scheme of things like i think about the story of of leslie riddle and ap carter for example traveling together and and i think that of those stories as being sort of uh, positive stories that show that in spite of the social norms of the time there are moments where music can create a space that is um that allows for a crossover that might not be able to happen in other situations. And so I found that in having those stories, I found that um, that was something that I, I thought was very important to bring into the conversation as I, as I was starting out. Are we feeding you too? Oh, I'm sorry. No problem. I, I can edit. No problem. Uh, almost done. Um, uh, we're at Scott Joplin House, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there's a young man there by the name of Royce Martin, uh, who's a phenomenal pianist who plays and is, you know, uh, uh, Scott Joplin's music, but also uh, adds his own uh, personal uh, interpretation. He, he has something uh, that he calls rag bop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and, and, and uh, uh, he can even uh, add hip-hop elements to, to his interpretations. Um um, and one of the things that that that, that uh, he said, uh, he also is an interpreter there at the museum, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, plays Joplin's uh, music for people visiting the museum. And he said that one of the things about Joplin uh, was that he was trying to reach out to uh, a, a, a universal audience, a broad audience, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, uh, so he uh, uh, his publisher called it. Classic rag. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that uh, you call yourself an American songster? Do you find yourself uh, uh, doing the same sort of thing where where it's not uh, uh, so much defined by genre, but by being a, a, a classic American music? Yeah, I've always tried to think of it that way as as being as being classic American music that that is drawing from the african-american tradition but not limited by that that's something i found just very from the very beginning that if i turned it into african-american music i found that 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 most of the time would turn it into blues or offshoots of the blues so when i came up with the idea of the american songster it was always in the uh, the notion to be able to tell people that i do blues and country and folk and I can even do rock and roll or I have all these other things that I'm interested in so it was always a way shake your money maker yeah exactly and it was always sort of a way to being able to show people that I was interested in a lot of different things 
and I didn't need to be limited to just one style. But it was an easy enough term to be able to galvanize it into a sing- singular unit, because that's the other thing, too, is a lot of the, the early songsters, one of the things that's always um, sort of um, been a detriment to the music is that since it's, it is so broad and not specific, like the blues, it, um, it, it's very easily overlooked many times. Thank you. Uh, last question. Um, connected to that is the idea of the troubadour. Uh, I'm thinking about Woody Guthrie or um, uh, you know, or or the uh, mysterious, legendary uh, uh, you know troubadours uh, in, 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 in black culture. Uh, do you uh, do you have any sort of sense of there being a a, a spiritual connection or a mystic connection or some sort of a, a troubadour spirit or geist? Oh, sure, of course, you know. Um, That's one of the things that drew me into the music, and I feel like that's something that's also guided me as I've gone along, is to be a troubadour, is to sing the songs of the people and and to sing their their words, their feelings, and their notions for for audiences all over the world. And, And it's still something that people are drawn to, and it's still something that I think is in high demand. And so I do think about... I think about people like Woody all the time, or uh, I think about Lead Belly an awful lot too, and just try to think about the different ways that, um, as I'm going along, you know, keeping really conscious of what am I, what I'm saying to people and how um, how the things I'm saying are affecting people, or how how I can bring a a, a little bit of a positive light. Thank you so much. I'm gonna let you eat your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Alabama bound. I'm Alabama bound. I'm Alabama bound. Well, that was a special, uh, very special interview, and it was uh, incredible to see him play and learn about this this wonderful uh, entertainer. It, you know, at the end of the interview, you, you know, you were getting philosophical with him, and he mentioned Woody and Lead Belly, and I know he means Woody Guthrie, I understand that. Tell me a little bit more about the combination of the two in his mind, Woody and well, Lead Belly. You know, it's important to uh, think about that because uh, uh, if we can go back in the Wayback Machine, uh, this is a time of uh, uh, the nascent civil rights uh, activities of the, of the late 40s, 50s, and 60s. And um, there was uh, um, Woody Guthrie uh, taking uh, the actual music of the folks, uh, being the American troubadour, and uh, uh, you know taking uh, the, the 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 Western music and and the ballads, uh, uh, and and uh, then encountering uh, Lead Belly, who was. Uh, uh, doing the same sort of thing for black music, uh, the black folk music, not the blues per se, although there's a lot of blues in what Lead Belly did, but, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, sort of bringing his own experiences, uh, as, uh, living a hard scrabble life, um, and, and making it about his personal experience, uh, uh, rather than about the blues tradition. So together, those two guys, were 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 um, the the real folk 
singers. That's sort of where the the, the, the term, the idea of a folk singer uh, became popularized with, with uh, Lead Belly and, and, and uh, the Weavers and, of course, Woody Guthrie. Sounds like a, a very good way to encapsulate talk about this guy who um, single-handedly is carrying those two legends forward. So I guess we are going to do a, 
a few more shows on this topic. And uh, I know coming up, we'll be uh, talking to uh, T.J. Muller, who is a, uh, originally from uh, Great Britain, a, a, uh, a historian of uh, uh, 19th and early 20th century American music and, mm -hmm. and a wonderful performer in the St. Louis area. And in uh, that conversation, we're, we're joined uh, by uh, uh, one of the great progenitors of modern ragtime. Clark, tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so Roy Smartin, um, you and I both discovered him at the same the same day um, and have become friends with this young man. He's a wizard on the piano uh, and moving up uh, in the local scene very quickly. Um, just had a movie come out of some type that he uh, did the score for. So, and his album, of course, uh, Memories on Morgan Street came out this year, uh, which was his interpretations of ragtime, uh, sp specifically Scott Joplin tunes. Um, marvelous entertainer. So we got to talk to him too. He and TJ do projects together as well locally. So, so. just so we can uh, clarify this in terms of our theme, uh, Royce is uh, African-American. TJ, as I mentioned, yes. comes from Great Britain and is uh, uh, not African-American. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, again, together uh, we explore uh, how uh, the backgrounds and cross-cultural influences affect their own um, experience playing music in the African-American tradition. Uh, this has been... Rambling Through the Brambles with uh, Clark with Taylor. And Hobart Taylor. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, look out for more programming. I'm Alabama bound. I'm Alabama bound. I'm Once again, we want to thank the Focal Point in Maplewood, Missouri, Paul Hyrant and the Big River Media Group, and the Internet Archive. And of course, our guest, Dom Flemons, whose album, Traveling Wildfire, is available on all streaming services. For more info on Dom, please visit www.theamericansongster.com. Thanks again.